welcome to another Cana Rinse podcast interview. Uh, and on this day when human eggheads have identified what they believe could well be a giant space alien megastructure just outside the Milky Way, it somehow seems fitting that the driest and most reverent gaming organ around, that's us, Cana Rinse, comes face to face with possibly the most succulent and disrespectful digitizer. Uh, to that end, welcome, Mr. Biffo, you may know him as, he is Paul Rose, welcome. Hello. Hi, Paul, thanks so much for joining us, giving up uh, a bit of your Thursday evening just to talk to uh, to us about, well, all things Digitizer and maybe some of your, your other endeavours that people uh, in the gaming sphere may or may not be familiar with. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's my pleasure. It's always nice to be described as succulent. That, uh... Yeah. I thought you'd enjoy that. Especially on a Thursday evening. Yeah. So um, a lot of your work, uh, certainly in recent years, uh, you've written for a whole host of um, really highly regarded kids telly. Um, I'm not familiar with a lot of this because I don't have kids, but I know that things like My Parents Radians, Danny's House, uh, Half Moon Investigations, Treks and Flipside, The Wrong Door, Barking, Sooty. These are all um, shows that you've uh, written for some extensively. And um, that is, is that like your bread and butter these days, your career-wise? Um, yeah, pretty much. It, it, it was always, uh, it's strange, it was always on the cards, I think, that I was going to write something script-wise. I mean, when I was a kid at school, I used to buy and put on kind of these shows uh, yeah, yeah. in lunch breaks and, and assemblies and things. Um, I mean, some of them we put on for charity and we raised a bit of money, charged people to come and see them. But um, when I first kind of went out to work as such, I was a graphic designer and it never crossed my mind that I could actually perhaps make a living. But um, it was Digitizer that led me to that because yeah. I, I so so enjoyed writing it. Uh, I thought, well, there must be some other way to, to make a living out of writing. So, yeah, for the last, uh, God, I've been doing it probably about 15 years now, writing for TV. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it pays the mortgage just about. Not just Kid Silly either. You've also written for uh, proper grown-up humour, Armstrong and Miller and uh, Stella, and also a couple of soap opera things, which I'd like to talk about a bit later. Um, but it's interesting you should say about uh, graphic design because uh, I read somewhere that uh, before you got the digitizer or the teletext gig, I should say, I suppose, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a strange job to apply for, especially, uh, you know, the the thought of it now, it, it, it seems it seems bizarre because teletext doesn't even exist anymore. But is it true that you were uh, you were somebody who made um, cool pixelated graphics for scoreboards or is that a myth? No, that's absolutely true. Yeah, Good. I worked. Um, I, I, yes, there we go. That's it. That's. Uh, I, 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 I'm not going to cut that short by going. No, uh, I will. Um, I, I will. I will elaborate. Um, yeah, I used to work at Wembley Stadium uh, oh, okay. on the scoreboard. So my my job was doing kind of all the animations that said goal and um, and actually scoring the matches as well, which was uh, which sounds fantastic. But I'm I'm not particularly a football, football, football right. fan at all. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so it, it was a little bit painful, uh, and it was also <laughs> it was a ridiculous job because we you know were supposedly meant to be. Uh, I'm about to make an inadvertent pun now. Um, we were it. meant to be on the ball as far as the game kind of mm. went. But yeah, we, we, we had to just sit in uh, this little room at the back of the stadium and watch the matches on Sky Sports. So uh, we right. couldn't actually have a clear clear view of the, the pitch. We were, we were getting it off the TV secondhand. So anyone watching at home kind of had the score uh, <laughs> updated <laughs> before people in the actual stadium. 
That's and occasionally we would get it wrong as well. We would put the wrong score up. That's a glimpse behind the curtain. Now, I am a football fan, but I can imagine being made to um, kind of, yeah, sit for hours. It's it's like the sort of equivalent of a data entry job or something. <laughs> if, you, if you're not um, if you're not into the, uh, the subject well, matter about which. But then you were getting to make cool, like, goal animation graphics and stuff like that. Like... I, I, I really admire those, um, the dot matrix stuff you see on pinball machines. It's really clever. Yeah, weirdly, it was it was a sort of ambition of mine. There used to be um, one of those kind of electronic screens in Piccadilly Circus. And I yeah. was like, oh, that's really cool. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up working on probably the most famous pixel screen in, in the country at, at yeah. Wembley Stadium. It, I mean, it was great. I, I got to, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of work to do. So I got to kind of just entertain myself a lot of the time by just making stupid animations and putting them up on the screen for my own entertainment um, so, i remember i came up with yeah. i was up i was asked to uh i was asked to come up with an anti-smoking or no smoking in the, the arena this is from wimby arena right um an animation for that and i remember i came up with this super hero called saline man who would squirt people in the face with a uh <laughs> washing up a bottle full of saline if they were smoking and that i think lasted two events and then someone said that's just too bizarre can you take it down please ah see this i i can i did you know i did when i read this about the uh the stadium scoreboards i did have uh you know as a big digitizer fan i did have fantasies of characters uh you know uh from digitizer appearing um and it sounds like in a way characters like the man who's yeah, <laughs> sort of prototype uh, kind of digitizer uh, type of thing um yes pretty much yeah and now so i'm I, this is this is what we do here as i say we're, we're very dry and serious ordinarily um humor has we have no truck with humor um but but i'm really interested I'm glad to hear it yeah so i'm really interested that um in the actual kind of um mechanics by which you uh, you actually got the stuff up on the screen. Now, for, for younger listeners, and there will be some, uh, Teletext was switched off a few years ago now when the analogue signal died or thereabouts. Um, but it was an oddity in that even when Digitizer started, the technology that Teletext used to, uh, because there was only a certain amount of bandwidth through the air, you were using... Um, very low resolution, low color graphics. So it was basically it was the same as a BBC Model B computer. I remember from school it had the same the same resolution, I think, and the same font and the same spectrum of, if I can call it that, of uh, six colors plus black and white. Um, now you became known as something of a virtuoso teletext artist within that incredibly low resolution, blocky <laughs> medium with with a few <laughs> colors. How, like, you actually kind of, you, I suppose, in a way, from from the dot matrix at Wembley, it was almost a downgrade in terms. Or you may have had more colors instead of just light and no light, if if that was the case back at yeah, Wembley. Yeah, pretty much. We had we had some color. You in, did in the arena scoreboard. We had oh, okay. a, a limited palette. The, the stadium scoreboard was basically yellow and black. Like yellow and black. But yeah. Odd. Yeah, yeah, but um. Prior to that, I'd worked at Labbrooks Racing, which is where I learned how to do Teletext graphics. So, because oh, okay. uh, they had, uh, I don't know if you remember, prior to Teletext, there was Oracle, um, and they had racing pages on their Labbrooks. So, 
so that that's where I learned to do it. And I also did the, the animation and the, the, the graphics for Labrook's in-store betting system. So I was kind of a an expert in kind of very low-resolution <laughs> graphics. Basically, that was my thing. I was a, a low-resolution graphics designer. It's a it's a skill uh, that was perhaps more in demand in the early nine late eighties, early nineties than than it is today. But um, yeah, it's... probably marginally more in demand then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with you, you, you yeah retina screens are, are just just not your thing but actually you can draw like no. you 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 uh I've, i noticed you've very sweetly as you've been dishing out your digitizer merchandise recently you've been um kind of uh hand drawing and signing every envelope um and you've and you've uh put a character or, or something on each one and um obviously you do have some kind of cartooning skills of your own yeah, I mean that was that was how I got into being a low resolution graphic designer in the first place. I I, I drew all the time. I mean, as a kid, that, I was constantly drawing comic strips and you know, kind of drawing Judge Dredd and various other yeah. characters. Uh, and my cousin happened to work for Labrooks and knew that they were in need of a graphic designer and said, "Oh, my cousin, who's fifteen, can draw." And I kind of went in there with some of my Judge Dredd pictures and started right. some Star Wars characters that I drew. And that's how I got the job, really. So and turned into I mean, Greyhounds. I'm a great artist. Yeah, and turned it into Greyhounds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I drew more Greyhounds than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> Blocky horses. <laughs> yeah, and lots of horses. Yeah. yeah. I remember it well, yeah. Um, there's a betting shop just around the corner. Of course, there's loads of them. But um, I remember that you know the the thing you used to see when you walk past a betting shop were rows and rows of um, kind of monitors, TV monitors with yeah. teletext on. But it was so. I in fact, I so I was probably looking at your graphics before I'd ever read Digitizer. Now I know that. That's cool. Quite possible. Well, the first the first thing I ever had on TV was um, it's actually in uh michael michael palin his first travel series around the world in 80 days he, he went into that yeah he went into a lab books betting shop and wanted odds on his chances of making it around the world um and, and the sequence was illustrated by an animation that i'd done of a monty python foot squashing michael palin's odds which sounds a bit of a peculiar phrase but um but yeah, yeah so that was the first thing i've had on tv yeah, it was probably 1990 1988 or something like that that's how old i am that's cool um so I'm also intrigued. Like when you got the uh, the job writing and and illustrating uh, the Channel Four Teletext games uh, service pages, was there any suggestion at that point? Uh, I, I'm I want to I want to make it clear for everybody. I'm being really careful, sort of stepping around the fact that the worst. You know, it, it's the old thing about analyzing humor is like dissecting a frog the frog dies and whatever um and i really don't want to be one of those you and your zany you, you're crazy with your with your zany humor um but i do want to kind of kind of understand how it happened that we'll talk about the famous uh, nine months later in digitizer where it where it went like you'd expect a teletext game service to be but how long was it after you got your feet under the table that you started kind of bringing in the elements of uh, kind of absurdist humour and Dardaist characters and all this sort of stuff. Um, did you have to get some confidence? Quickly. Right. I mean, yeah, it was relatively quickly because we, we had I don't know, probably about three months before Teletext went on air where they were basically running the service as if it, if it was live and if it was, if it was broadcasting. So I'd already met a guy called Tim Moore who yeah. I originally edited and wrote digitizer weird and tim and i just got on really well and at some point we discovered we had a very similar sense of humor so it it was just a case of 
trying to make each other laugh. So I think it was once once Digi was on air and we realised people were reading it. it I don't know. It was probably probably a matter of weeks before things started to get a bit peculiar. <laughs> it wasn't long at all because we'd had a bit of a bit of a um, I don't know a period to to accelerate up to that even before it had gone live. So Tim Moore, uh, people may know as Mr. Hares, um, he's a humorist and travel writer uh, ordinarily, um, and he was there for what the first three or four years of Digitizer with you. Yeah, um, I think yeah, the first. Gosh, let me think. Um, yeah, probably the first four years uh, we wrote it together. Um, you know, and those four years are probably the, the best four years of my working life, really. Because all we did was just laugh all day and upset other people in in our office <laughs> because all we would do was laugh and and have ridiculous uh, competitions with one another, daring each other to do things. So um, yeah, yeah uh, it was in in some respects, you know, Diddy wouldn't wouldn't have been what it was if it wasn't just that combination of personalities tim and i together it, it, it was we were from the point of view of teletext bosses we were the worst possible combination of people that they could have put together we just egged each other on that's really interesting to hear because I, I did wonder even before the you know the, the the suits came down heavy on you a few years down the line um i did wonder how you were kind of getting away with a lot of the stuff you were doing for that that first period was it just a case of they weren't i mean how aware were they that there was this stuff which i mean you know most of it was you hung virtually all of it around video games um but there was there was some stuff on there was there was increasingly stuff on there that you know, especially under the reveal button at the bottom, bottom of the page, that was apropos of nothing, and that was the joy of it to most to, to us fans. Um, but that was, you know, was that considered within your remit, or did you did you have meetings where it was like, you know, well, this stuff, you know, did you have to? It was this stuff was like, I guess there were no analytics as such, so it was just, is this stuff going down well? Yeah, it seems well, to be. I mean, teletext. I mean, it was weird because they, they sort of just let us get on with it. And it was just myself and Tim. And then um, another guy called Adam Keeble came in who kind of helped us with the letters and the tips and, mm. you know, anything that Tim and I couldn't do. He did some reviews, Adam, as well. Um, and I don't know, they just let us get on with it. So, and certainly from the point of view of, of Tim and I, there was never any kind of strategy strategy meetings. We never sat around and kind of said, oh, what digitizing needs to be is this. It, it purely was, well, you know, here's the games in this week. You review that one, I'll review that one. You know, here's some news that we've got to report. And then any of the kind of absurdist stuff, we'd just chuck in as we went along, you know, normally as a surprise for the other person. Yeah. You know, and, you know, so we'd be reading through someone else's stuff and kind of go, ah, what's that? It's, you know, and the more, more bizarre and the more left field it was, the funnier we found it. <laughs> All the more inappropriate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, the more it shouldn't have been on there as a game section. The funny we found it. Yeah, and that uh, that kind of came to a head by the end, which which we'll talk about. Um, I, I, yes. I, I admit the um, the first time or the first couple of days I tried to read it, I really bounced off it. It's that thing where, and and I, I maybe this is me because I had this, I had a similar experience the first few times I saw Reeves and Mortimer. Um, I bounced off the Mighty Boosh and never came back but um there yeah. it felt like there was all already a kind of a whole bunch of jokes that i just didn't i wasn't part of because it was so kind of alien and especially within context i think it was one thing picking up like you know i used to buy all the games magazines from the mid 80s right up until you know the mid 2000s and when you had like some of the magazines had their um like uh 
Sinclair user and Zero and Zap sixty four in in one of its periods. They had a lot of you know they had a lot of humor, a lot of irreverent stuff. But going from like you know I would be flicking from the the football on teletext, you know, very dry, just data to digitizer and my friend was saying oh you've got to read digitizer it's so funny it's got this character he's called the man with a long chin and he just says these things and you're like yeah whatever okay I'll, I'll give it a look and then it's like this is weird but it only took me you know it took me a few weeks until i was you know completely hooked and it was the first i'm um, the, the classic uh, i'm sure you've heard this many times it was the thing i used to you know get up and do first thing in the morning before going to going to school uh, i say school i was i was in my 20s at work um oh well that's no it's always lovely to hear yeah people often sort of say that it was part of their daily routine absolutely and it is it, it's kind of surreal to hear it. Now, however many times I hear it, it's strange to think, you know, you something I did was part of people's lives. You know, people that I don't know, never met. You know, it's, a, it's lovely, really. I've got, you know, I, I never get tired of hearing it. The, the language as well, that, um, that, that, that it's got its own kind of lexicon, the whole digitizer thing. And yeah, um, a few years ago, I, I, I did what I've done one year of professional games journalism and I'm not currently doing it, but I work with, uh, a, a, a guy you know Ian Dransfield um oh yeah who's who's a who's a fan and um we kind of again we you know this was in 2013 and we bonded over saying mock mock a mock on an email and uh, <laughs> it was it's like a sort of secret you know a sort of secret code a yeah you were there you know you've been a gamer a long time you read digitizer um I still say me do quite a lot I still add mess I still talk about people making uh, mess ups and um yeah there was just something really once you got past the barrier of the, I don't get this, I don't get <laughs> what is what is going on here. Um, it was, it was. It, yeah, I think I realised how kind of it was done with a lot of warmth. And even though there were, you know, I mean, later on you had characters like Zombie Dave who was hidden in place, like <laughs> out yes. of hardcore swearing. Yes. <laughs> Which yeah, uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of warmth with Zombie Dave. But I mean, I, I it, it's strange because it's, it's something um, it's, it's strangely now that I've kind of. I mean, I'm sure you'll ask about this later, but I've, I've, you know, I've kind of bought Digitizer back as a website. Yeah. Uh, and it's very strange finding its, its place now online and how it fits into, you know, a very different world. Um, you know, it would be so easy to just do Digi as a, a mainstream thing and compete mm. to some of the big sites, but then it ceases to be Digi. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it's... And, and that would mean kind of losing some of that humour, and the more obscure and the more weird and strange the language is on on digitizer, the the more authentic it is to itself. Um, but I'm recent, I've, I've recently started writing some bits and pieces for Tech Radar, uh, and okay. the brief I was given was, um, yeah, we want you to do the same sort of full. This was their words: full fat nonsense that you do on digitizer. <laughs> and I've had a, a couple of pieces up. Um, I mean, I should speak to the guys about it, really, but they. You know, and clearly from the comments, you know, Radar's audience haven't yet got past that kind of couple of weeks that you had to get through, where <laughs> they where they, they understand it. Oh well, who will say? I mean, it's it's um, hostile to say the least. But oh, I mean, I'm terrible. You know, the more um, the more people don't like something, the more stubborn <laughs> I get, and the, the more determined I become to make it uh, all the more obscure and kind of impenetrable. I'm, I don't know what that's about, but it, it's like a red rag to a ball. 
that's a fabulous way to deal with criticism um yeah because you know as soon as you you know put yourself out there on on the internet you are always going to get some harsh critiques um and to simply yeah i've, I've been trying that recently i mean we, we're very lucky in that we we mainly get positive things written about us and have done so far but i've I managed to actually dig out through sort of vanity searches a couple of really unpleasant things and i actually sort of made it my mission to do that to kind of face it to kind of do that thing where you actually you have somebody saying really you know unpleasant things and kind of going through it and just you know thinking about the process of you know what that person's like and what their life is and how they don't really view you as a you know and what what you know what they think doesn't matter ultimately but uh, it's slightly different yeah it's a dangerous it's a dangerous game to play kind of opening your door onto that world um it's you know but uh you know i try not to do that but yeah it was quite interesting to see the tech radar um comments Uh, see i'm laughing because it's i'm laughing at the fact that people kind of or at least the people that commented weren't particularly keen on what i'd written so um oh yeah, yeah. you've written yeah, no, uh, you wrote for edge for five years and uh you've written for retro gamer and the official playstation magazine as well as uh empire and total film and death ray and various other print publications gosh uh, death ray i've forgotten about that one yeah um death ray wow yeah i did um yeah 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 no i've i've, I've done uh yeah a lot of uh different magazines over the years i think i wrote for net back in the day and you know yeah yeah you name it. I mean, a lot, uh, mainly Future magazine, strangely. I've always had a good relationship with Future, um, which mm. is sort of like for Tech Radar now, it sort of feels kind of like coming home in a, a, a funny sort of way. It was it was always back in the day, for some reason, the EMAP guys, you know, the CMUG yeah. and Mean Machines and those magazines, the guys that wrote those never got digitized, but somehow everyone at Future always did. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that makes sense. It was odd. I don't know what that says. Well, one of your uh, <laughs> columnists who he originally, I think he was with um, Dennis before, but Stuart Campbell obviously was at um, uh, Future for a number of years on, on Amiga Power, which was famously irreverent itself. It, had, um, you know, it was notorious for its extremely harsh review scores, and I think Stuart Campbell kind of led that. And he, he wrote a digi column for some some time, didn't he? So I suppose there's a Yeah, there's a long time. There. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you also created characters such as uh, Dr. Derek Doctors, Phoning Honey, uh, Phil Mitchell, <laughs> Inspector Morse and Lewis, and Violet Berlin, uh, your craziest creation. Um, yes. Who was the uh, who? Which of which of of the many um, blocky creations that that you came up with did you enjoy uh, writing the most, or or was it just the, the fun of having that that a kind of menagerie of of twisted? creatures to uh to put words into their mouths um the man's daddy's always a favorite i still do him quite often on the new digi soft um you know he just comes up with these kind of as 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 i believe they're now called anti-jokes yeah you know uh, uh, it's just non sequiturs really Uh, but also i mean i i he would occasionally do kind of excruciating puns and there's it for me coming up with a good pun and is is like doing Sudoku or something like that. I like mm. twisting my brain around words, and so I always like uh, doing the man's daddy. Um, I liked a lot of the one-off characters or characters that kind of just appeared for a few days and then disappeared again. We had a character called Balls for Eyes, who was a <laughs> Just this guy who had like footballs for eyes. I don't um, remember him. I got to admit, <laughs> oh, bring him back. Uh, bring him back. Yeah, and then we had. Um, 
oh god uh, a guy called onion owl who was um oh, whose yeah. job it was he worked he worked at london zoo and it was his job to feed onions to owls yeah. um, and that was that was his shtick so you know there's as you can imagine there's not a lot of mileage in that <laughs> you can't no. bring him back as a regular character when he has one thing to talk about which is feeding onions to owls i might bring him back actually he's um i still think there's some mileage there actually it's probably a feature uh or something based around that um yes funnily enough when i um i did uh you know i thought to uh just briefly put it out there to twitter yesterday uh if anyone had uh anyone who followed me or caterings had any questions for you and i almost put as a disclaimer um no uh where do you get all your crazy ideas from questions but the first response i got uh, which I think was tongue in cheek because I think somebody probably listens to Richard Herring's podcast or whatever, um, which is his. It's a sort of running joke to. Uh, it's it's the thing that comedians or funny humorists people <laughs> always get asked is. So where do you get all your crazy ideas from? So I'm afraid I'm going to have to put that to you. Rich Smith uh, asked it, and it's my duty to uh, to put it to you, Paul. Oh, bless you, Rich Smith. <laughs> oh, someone you know. Twitter. Yes. <laughs> yes, from Twitter. Bless. Uh, God, I don't know. Um, I remember, I remember, funny enough, Reza Mortimer, who you mentioned earlier, uh, being asked this on Saturday Superstore, and they replied, "From my mind." Um, but it, it's it, a lot of it, believe it or not, is is from life. Uh, you know, most of the stuff that I, I I find you can only write honestly if you write in a way that's true to yourself. I don't think anything I ever really do kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, you know, it's whatever the this is. This is, sounds far too deep and meaningful for a, a guy that's just talked about writing a character called um, Balls for Eyes. But um, it's it it's it is it's it's you know it's whatever that cocktail is of what my day has been that day and you know my life leading up to that point. You know, yeah. normally there's some degree of truth in something I've written or. I want to say something about a topic and, you know, occasionally some of the stuff that I write has a point, um, you know, it's something that I'm angry about and I'm venting my frustration in some obscure way. So, um, yeah, it doesn't come from nowhere. It's not just as simple as kind of going, oh, here's a worm covered in glitter or here's a yeah. you know, dog in a cowboy hat. It, it, it's... Yeah, there's there's a little bit more to it than that, believe it or not. I don't overanalyze it, you know. No. Obviously, I'm only doing that now because you've asked me. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've really, I've done, I've dissected the frog. Well, Rich Smith has. I, I'm I'm passing the blame onto him. Um, but it's interesting yeah, you should say that. For, yeah, because the um, you know, the new Digi Two Thousand site, which we'll talk about more fully in a bit, um, does have uh, features and articles and, and bits. And you've you've obviously given yourself a fairly uh, you know open remit to to do what you want. You've got you've got really funny, completely kind of um, just pure humour with with maybe with an occasional kind of lead into to video games. But you've also got some actual. Um, video rhetoric about the state of gaming and stuff like that so there is still there is still the um the desire to actually you know say something about the industry and and the state of gaming and stuff like that within you um because yeah ultimately you you're obviously a gay you, you know you're a gamer have a veteran gamer have been a long time and you still play presumably so um yeah i mean it was a big part of why i for want of a better word came out of retirement um mm. you know because i i would play games i would read games news and stuff and, and things would bother me and i guess uh over the years fewer and fewer of my mates have continued playing games you know i've still got a few that are kind of quite dedicated but um you know i didn't have 
a, a platform, even if it was a platform down the pub, you know, to mm. to moan about things that I saw when it came to games. Uh, and I missed it. You know, I still get passionate about the games industry and, you know, I still love playing games. But, um, you know, it, it, it's also, it was always part of Digi. You know, we always tried to, as stupid as it was, you know, we always tried to at least be honest when it came to... Um, you know, the actual kind of games news and, you know, features and so on. You know, we, we try to inform as well as kind of amuse ourselves. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, and, and I think, you know, I did for five years or whatever. That was always an opinion column. It always had something to say. It wasn't, yeah. you know, just nonsense. So it's part and parcel of, of what I do, I guess, you know, and that balance between the daft stuff and the the, the, the more long-form kind of opinion pieces or, or commentary pieces of the digi style for me. Yeah. It's a weird mix to anyone coming to it fresh. They're going to go kind of, wait, so. I've just read a sort of list of people stuck in toilets and now I'm reading something about you know the BBC um, and their games coverage well, it's a strange strange mix I guess I suppose again it takes me back um, as, as as a veteran myself to the days when yeah when buying a games magazine was that kind of unexpected mixture of of the the sublime and the ridiculous and I, I just think it's in a, in a way in the nicest possible way I think it's a bit of a throwback and um, because I, th- you know, I although we are kind of part of, I suppose, modern games media in an, albeit in an amateur way, in that we we do, you know, take our gaming very seriously. We analyse them very deeply and all that sort of thing. But actually, a lot of my happiest gaming times were just being completely infused by the the, the dedicated press back in the eighties and nineties, where it was just everything seemed so exciting and everything was so positive. You know, bad games got a bad rap and and that was fine but everything else was just this is also brilliant and that i think that's been lost along the way with with a lot of you know the, with the industry getting bigger and people perhaps rightly being more critical of of certain elements uh, within games that do need criticism but equally um i think it's easy to forget just how much damn fun and magic we get out of video games yeah, for me, that's it, really. It's, I think, you know, and, and kind of proper games critique and, and writing about it and talking about it, you know, it absolutely has its place. I still read Edge and, you know, I, I you know, I, I like, uh, you know, the Guardian Games coverage I think is great. Yeah. I think Kotaku's great. I love, you know, the, the proper kind of in-depth writing. But at the same time, it, it part of me kind of felt that there's a lot of that and not as much people just having a laugh, um, at least not in writing. I mean, I think YouTubers, um, are, are, you know, the PewDiePie's of this world and the various Let's Play videos, and mm. you know, they, they seem to be having fun with it. But um, I think for me, um, yeah, something has, has slightly got lost that, um, that it had all kind of become quite edgy-fied, shall we say. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, I, I, I missed, you know, those days of, you know, and I, I think, think at the time I used to sort of moan about that CVG and, um, you know, Moon Machines and the like. And, you know, I think there was sort of slightly antithesis of what Digitizer was. But but actually, I, I do miss that era. I do miss, um, you know, that, that it felt colourful and bright and, as you mm. say, fun and exciting. Um, and, I, and now, I don't know, everyone seems to 
kind of wander around with a cloud over their heads when it comes to talking about games half the yeah. time, you know, or moaning. Yeah, I agree. And I think that although, as I say, we are, you know, our podcast is quite in-depth and serious, it ultimately attempts to be a celebration, like an actual, you know, like, um, again, ultimately, we always go into games wanting to enjoy them, wanting to love them. And I suppose that's the fact that we do it in our spare time, um, you know, uh, uh, know, unprofessionally (laughs) or not professionally, not for money. Um, Yeah, it kind of has a... But even then, you know, I I, I listen to some podcasts, I'm not going to name them, where... Again, sometimes I think, why are you dedicating your time to talking about games when you clearly hate them? <laughs> it's, a, it's such a weird yeah. thing to do. Like, I just, I, you know, I'm 43. I wonder, I've been... I wonder if it's gone, gone. No, 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 you go. Just because I just want that, um, that, that, that sort of family effect where, you know, the things that you love, you know, you're okay to slap them off, but the second anyone else kind of starts slapping into them, you know, you, you're not going to have it. It's like, it's, I always remember um, years ago, I went to a friend's house. His, his brother was um, in the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. Oh, yeah. And I went to his house. We were going to have a day of watching Doctor Who videos. This was in the days before Doctor Who DVDs were kind of readily available. Yeah. Um, and I went there and there was a bunch of people from the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. And uh, we sat down and we watched the episodes and they just slagged every single one of them yeah, off you know yeah, laid yeah. into everything from the acting to the story to everything else um but the second anyone else who wasn't one of them would have done the same you know yeah. you bet that they would have closed ranks and you know, turned on them so i don't know i don't know if there's a bit of that effect going on um mm. maybe not maybe it's just i don't know i don't know it, it, anyway but i mean i you know i think it's uh, you know, I think it's great that, that people, yeah, there are so many diverse voices out there. Um, and I think there's room for everyone to talk about games in different ways. And so, you know, Digitizer, me coming back and, and, and doing my bit is just sort of, you know, adding to the overall mix and, you know, hope I don't get yeah. com- completely lost in the uh, in all the white noise. No, no chance of that. Um, one I, I remember, and I, I don't know if you still have any uh, communication with him, but uh, you had a, a fairly, you know, um, well, I guess he wasn't that much of a celebrity at the time, but Alex Garland, I remember corresponding with you on, on Digitizer, um, who obviously he's gone on to write uh, The Beach and 28 Days Later and uh, and write for games as well. Um, he also wrote a, a touching eulogy to Digitizer back back in, uh, in, in the 2000s as well. Is he somebody you still have any contact with or...? I saw him, gosh, uh, I'm, going, I'm going to sound really name dropping now. I went out for lunch with him and Peter Serafinowicz a couple of months ago. Um, nice. And we talked about games and Destiny and Bioshock and things. So, um, yeah, yeah, he's he's a proper, you know, proper gamer, Alex. He absolutely loves them, um, you know, and I think it informs the, the types of films he makes. It's very much part of who he is. Yeah. So he's a lovely guy. Cool. Uh, now I just want to talk about the dark days uh, of uh, what I shall dub the square season, which was when um, when your 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 suited bosses, the the bigwigs at uh, Channel Four Teletext, um, decided that enough was enough of this nonsense, and it was genuinely heartbreaking. Uh, Digitizer pretty much in the space of a weekend went from being what it was, all the, with all the things we talked about and all the things that it is again now, and was again afterwards. 
um, to just being a really ordinary, you know, perfectly competent. You were still there, right? You were still writing it, but you complete. Mm-hmm. You had to remove every element of fun from it. No, of, yes, of humor. yes, effectively. Yeah. Um, yeah, lose the humor. That's what I was told because it. Um, well, it goes back to what what you said, you know, at the beginning, which is they felt that it excluded people and was. Um, too obscure, uh, and they decided that that was in some way damaging um, one of the most popular sections on their service. Um, so, yeah. uh, in their wisdom, they they used, and they'd always been since the the early days, and you know, through when Tim got fired, knives had been out for Digitizer for a long time. There was right. just a, a feeling within the company that somehow we were trouble, but. Um, they could never quite nail down exactly what it was. It was like a, a little some, something at the back of their minds where they kind of thought, there's something up with this and we don't like it, but but we don't know what it is we don't like. Um, which, you know, yeah, Digi, Digi and that, that kind of it did tend to provoke, you know, strong reactions in people one way or another. But it was Marmite. People loved it or hated it. Um, and generally speaking, I kind of find that people in suits to <laughs> it and you know yeah. people that uh play games were a bit more relaxed about life didn't um but yeah so i was i was brought in um uh, under the uh uh the excuse that because some terrorists had knocked down yeah. the world trade center that teletext had to uh, make some changes um and i guess in that post 9-11 world um uh, there wasn't any room for the, the man's daddy or balls for eyes. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so they asked me. It was it was a horrible meeting. It was it was really um, I bet quite extraordinary how um, well. Yeah, I mean, it was you know yeah fair enough. They they kind of cut my salary in half. They dropped Digi back to three days a week and asked me to um, kind of get rid of all the characters and all the humour. But it was um, the, the news was delivering the most spectacularly rude and um, uh, aggressive way. I mean, in, wow. you know, I mean, I'm not a young man anymore. And, you know, I've, I've had um, a lot of uh, things happen to me in my professional life, but nothing quite as spectacularly as unprofessional as that. It was, um, it was a case of, I think, a new, um, a new deputy features editor had come in. I think he wanted to prove himself. And, yeah. you know, it obviously got wind from above that we don't like digitizing. He sought to make an example of us. So, um, so yeah, so that's what happened for, for nine months. And then um, and then the letters of complaint um, didn't let up for the whole of that time. So uh, cool. They the, kept coming, that, kind of, you know. Yeah, that must have felt amazing that, that basically, you know, your fans kind of, I'm surprised you didn't quit, you know, at, at the, you know, the being halved. I had no of... choice. Right. You know, I had a mortgage, I had kids. Well, sure, um, sure. You know, I, I didn't have anything there and then to kind of go to. If I'd have quit, you know, it would have been a case of being out of work for some time while I found another job. But, yeah. um, you know, it wasn't as simple as being able to do that. I just started to kind of, um, my TV work had just started at, take off yeah. but it wasn't at a stage where i could earn money from it um and i didn't feel confident about being able to at that point so um you know i had to do the responsible thing and keep paying the mortgage yeah, yeah. um but yeah when you know it must have been a fantastic uh you know kind of obviously i'm sure you would have been circumspect about it but when uh, how did they approach you to say we're going to let you go 
basically do what you were doing before? I mean, did, did that must, you know, cap in hand kind of, you know, what how uh, does that well, even no, go down? I was called in, um, I was called in for another meeting um, by um, an, another one of the, oh, I think it was the features editor or someone who uh, knew had just been appointed to a features editor who was, um, and I went in for the meeting and the same guy who'd been really horrible to me yeah. was in the meeting and he didn't say a word throughout the whole meeting. Um, he, he made a, a few very strained smiles and uh, but didn't say anything and the um the general uh tone of the meeting was really lovely and upbeat and like you know yes we still value digitizer and we'd like to um you know go back to it being daily i think and you know <laughs> we, we they didn't offer me any more money um but anyway there was no mention of of bringing back the humor or anything like that in the actual meeting but as i was being led to the um reception right um the guy the bad cop um mm. from that original meeting it was brilliant it was it was like he just kind of under his breath kind of went um oh yeah um oh uh, yeah we need you to um bring back all the characters and the humor as well <laughs> so, <laughs> and i was like sorry yeah yeah could you um just bring back all the humor and everything please uh, they just been inundated with letters. Uh, it was great, and I kind of went out of there on such a high, and then oh. ended up, I think, quitting about six, well, not even that, not even six months later, three months later, because <laughs> like it was, I, uh, you know, I wasn't going to top it. I wasn't going to no. top that. Um, you know, I'd, uh, you know, I, I sound a bit like Alan Partridge here. You know, needless to say, I had the last laugh. Um, but <laughs> he totally did, though. <laughs> but in that instance, I did. It's the feel-good um, story yeah, it was of, a, it was of, a victory. of the decade. Yeah, and uh, like, yes. even though, even though um, it was only another few months after that, and and I'm sure Digitizer fans, in a way, you know, we were a bit, we were a bit sad, but we were so. Uh, I, I, I speak for all of us here. Um, we were so overjoyed to have Digitizer back properly for those last few months. It was such, uh, it was such a relief, such a release. And and I think it was. I, I felt like it was kind of more ballsier and freewheeling than ever. Um, particularly as uh, as you came to the last days. Um, and and yes. the, I've already spoken to you about this on Twitter, and I'm sure it comes up a lot, uh, pardon the pun. But um, there was on the very final, final day, the final day of Digitizer, um, and I think you'd kind of announced that it was it was coming to an end. So we all knew that there, there was a last day, and it wasn't just gonna, you know, it wasn't just gonna change to Game Central without. Um, I think they were already kind of plugging Game Central, in fact, at the back of Digitizer and stuff like that. No, quite, um, quite possibly. I think yeah, I think they brought Tony Mott in, didn't they, from Edge to... to, uh, to yeah, yeah, Tony, that. yeah, I recommended him. Yeah, so, was, I mean, it was a proper, you know, Game Central was was a proper thing, and um, but obviously it was it was going to be very different. But, yes, on that last day, so as I remember it, Turn of the Worm wasn't one of your characters, but Turn of the Worm was a kind of child, a children's character from other bits of uh, teletext. Is that right? No, he was my, he was my character, believe it or oh, okay. not. Turn of the Worm was, um, was born... Back when I worked at Labbrooks, so I used to have this worm oh, character okay. that would pop up, pop up in some of the animations that I did for their their betting stores. Oh, so um, when uh, yeah, when I started at a text, uh, the first thing you know, people to come up with ideas for different sessions, and one of the things I suggested was a kids cartoon strip called Right, Turn right. Worm. So yeah. I, I wrote that as well as uh, and did the graphics for it uh, as I well as digitizers. So. 
Okay, that was my, yeah. my ignorance. I did not know that. Um, but uh, now I think about it, the name and everything, it kind of makes sense. Um, but also it meant that you, you had carte blanche to uh, to bring Turn of the Worm into Digitizer and have him at the press of the reveal button being sick all over the screen. Um, it's, yes. it's one of those things that's hard to, uh, hard to actually describe. But um, if you can imagine a big uh, magenta teletext worm uh, sort of eschewing a, a puddle of white... Uh, teletext sick on the screen you you're, you're coming you know you will google it you know check it out um, it's, yeah it's on it's on google images <laughs> i was i was uh so was was this 2002 three something like that so three, I, was, three, I think yeah i was i was in my 30s at this point um and it was a proper spitting the cereal moment you know it was, it was, it was proper like <laughs> you know and and a water cooler moment where even i was going into work that morning and talking to people who were like teletext is still going and like you know you still read teletext and i say check out page whatever it was you won't believe it press the reveal button you won't believe what's on teletext <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah it's, uh, that, that's it's weird because it's really how I many it's, it's nice it's part for me part of the it's it's the full stop at the end of that that totally chapter of the story um and but at the same time when i did it i had no idea that it was gonna kind of follow me around all the years you know it seems no, to be it. the thing that more yeah 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 it'll be literally, literally be on your gravestone yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, and I'd be very proud button. to have it at my gravestone. Definitely, you know, it's it's not not every day you get to come up with a water cooler moment for the nation, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it was done just in on a whim. That's the thing; as often these things are, it was there was yeah. no thought or planning that went into it. I just thought, you know, I've got to do probably the the, the ultimate digitizer esque thing. Uh, imaginable the, the the last thing i should probably do and i didn't expect them to let it go out on air you know i thought they were going to take no. that off but yet you know they, they they left it so hats off to the sub editor that day who who just let it go that is surprising because i i would always assume that you were just like you know you were the last person who saw things before they went up but they did have some sort of vetting process oh yeah there was plenty of stuff that never made it to air you know we were right. constantly having stuff not bad often things that weren't actually rude that they would read things into you know and that must always egg me on to kind of be put but you know kind of double entendres in places that you know they never spotted so yeah there are other things in digitizers final week that they that they didn't pick up on either you know i think on some of the pages i just had i would fixed it so all the paragraphs down the left hand side spelled out various swear words you mm -hmm. know no one picked up on that so, um, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to go out with a bang. And why not? And speaking of your uh, preponderance for hiding sauciness in plain sight, I did want to just briefly talk to you about, like, I don't understand how a writer can write literally one episode of EastEnders because you've got, is, is that, you? did you only do one episode? Is that true? Yeah, well, you'd be surprised. There's, because um, I remember when we went in, for our script meetings with all the new writers and they had a book and they sort of said, you know, the first um, kind of 10 pages of this book, all the writers who've written more than one episode, <laughs> the last kind of 500 pages, all, all the writers have only written one. So there are a lot how of writers does, out there. Uh, how does that work with the continuity? Episode. I mean, the continuity uh, must be hellish, especially now. I mean, obviously this was some years ago, but it had already been going 18 years at that point. Yeah, I, I mean, you're you just self-contained story. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you're given, um, you're kind of given three months worth of story to kind of revise, basically. So you kind of know, um, you know, what's happening either side of your episode. And uh, you, you have a meeting with the other writers from your week. Um, but you end up with shows like that. It was Stella as well, which I did for Sky last mm. year. You know, that was a similar process in that, you know, there are a lot of drafts because things will change in the episode before you or the episode after you, and you've got to adjust your episode in order to make it fit. It's, it's a lot of work working on those kind of serial shows. Um, and I don't know, EastEnders, I was, I was, uh, it, it was, uh, it was a strange process. It was, I was very early in my career to kind of get such yeah. a high profile gig yeah. and I just wasn't ready for it ultimately. I don't, you know, I, I think I did an all right job, but, um, but it, it was painful getting there. And famously, <laughs> well, I say famously, infamously, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you managed to slide another, well, a C-bomb in there in plain sight in, uh, in, in 745. Yeah, I don't know why I do this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is... getting dirty to to say big constables. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I clearly have a uh, some sort of death wish or, or desire to kind of, um, uh, commit career suicide or something. So I'm actually I'm a lot when it comes to my kids TV stuff. I'm really well behaved. I don't yeah. think kids TV is the place for it. But no. um, but yeah, certainly other stuff that I've done. I I um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I do it. I I'm sure a psychiatrist could uh, have a field day with me. I. Now, this next one, I may have completely imagined this, but I'm sure I remember you talking about working or developing a, a comedy for Channel 4 involving cows. Did that... Did, did no, it wasn't me. There was, um, what's his name? Uh, Eddie Izzard did a sitcom called did. The Cows. But I remember, yeah, that, that, I remember that happening, and then I remember thinking, well, that's weird. I'm sure Paul Rose said he was working on something for Channel 4 with cows, but maybe that's my scrambled. Uh, scrambled we we did... Um, Tim and I, the first thing we wrote, well, actually, it wasn't even after Digitizer, it was while we were still working there. Yeah. Uh, we wrote a sitcom about um, two vets called We Two Vets, which that did have some cows in it. Oh, uh, it was written for radio. Yeah, there was, a, there was a sequence in that where a whole bunch of cows get mowed down by a combine harvester. Not the sort of thing you're going to kind of get on Radio 4 in the 6.30 p.m. slot. <laughs> well, so no, you never it know. It was very dark. You never know you never your know. stuff. I think um, yeah. I'm also assuming that you've been at your own trivia on the IMDb because, um, or oh, unless, how is the Weather Girls biopic coming on? God, I, yeah, I saw that years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, there's no point anyone looking at IMDb because anyone can just <laughs> faff around with it. It's, um, yeah, it's I, it's, I it's like, like Wikipedia. It. Don't don't look it. <laughs> I quite like the sound of it. Um, but one thing I know you did do, because I've watched it, uh, is uh, with back with Tim in, in 2007, uh, Biffo Vision, which was uh, a comedy pilot. Yeah. BBC Three kind of sent it out to die twice. Is that is that fair? <laughs> so like in, they've they uh, showed it yeah. in the middle of the night? Yeah. Which is yeah, kind of a pity. Uh, it was, yeah, it's one of uh, probably my favourite thing that I've ever written and had mm. made, because it's probably the truest to me of anything that I've ever done other than digi, digi and you know the current digi 2000 it's um yeah you know before region was an absolute joy uh, and, it, and it's weird because I so enjoyed the process of doing it and I mm. so love the end result as mm. polarizing as it is um that that it's hard to feel too that it kind of never went to a series you know we went in there and yeah pitched it and sort of said we want to make a show that you know a lot of the audience kind of hate 
Um, and that's exactly what we made. Unfortunately, some of those people were, you know, the heads of uh, BBC Three. So, um, uh, you know, but it was, it was, you know, as close to kind of what we imagined it to be going in there, you know, and that, that rarely happens in writing or making things for TV. You know, the, the end result is, is the thing you wanted it to be, but it, it pretty much was. So, um, yeah, I'm hugely proud of it. It's a shame it didn't have a, you know, a wide audience. It's a shame that kind of more people didn't see it because uh, I think it, it deserves at least a bigger audience than it's had. But at the same time, I can't expect it to be kind of the next Only Fools and Horses or something like well, that because no, it was never designed. Sure, but it, you know, it could have been a, it could have been uh, if it had been pushed, it could have been a mighty boosh type scenario where it gain, it gains a following and then people get really obsessive about it. Uh, 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 you know, as we are about digitizer, and there were some, you know, there were some things in there that you would definitely uh, identify as hallmarks of you and and Tim as well. Um, I thoroughly recommend anyone listening who's interested to listen to this podcast. If you've never seen Before Vision, it's all on YouTube, of course. Check it out. Um, you'll recognise some of the cast, that's for sure. It's got Ingrid Oliver in it and uh, Simon Greenall, who Pete, you'll know from Alan Partridge, and he's the voice of the Meerkat as well. Um, and James Lance as well. So he's kind of ubiquitous in things these days. So you had like a really strong cast and, um, nice and director cast, as well, yeah, didn't yeah. you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was um, directed by Michael Bowden, who kind of directed um, Blackadder Goes Forth, and exactly. you know, yeah. it was an amazing. I mean, he was he was fantastic. He just let he he sort of just directed it from a technical standpoint, and Tim and I were just on set the whole time, you know, kind of directing it creatively. You know, um, yeah. obviously not Michael Bowden, Bowden, Richard Bowden. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we um, yeah we we you know had an absolute blast. We, it was all done in three days, really, apart from some bits and pieces that Tim and I filmed. Some in my living room, some in the woods near my house, you know, just with yeah, a, a yeah, little yeah. camcorder. Uh, uh, but the rest of it, you know, we had some amazing animation in there. You know, it's a really it was a joy. Oh, the to, Scranton to, to work is on. superb. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So that is a um, it's a it's a Scooby Doo esque, very Scooby Doo esque cartoon, but where instead of uh, a lovable uh, speech impeded uh, Great Dane, it's um, it's a naked man with a boot for a head. Basically, so, yes, that's basically because it, in yeah. a previous life he did real bad stuff. Yeah, as yeah. I believe the theme yeah. music goes. So yeah, check it out on YouTube, listeners. It's uh, if you've never seen it, it's um, it's yeah, it's, it's sort of in the style of a uh, '80s um, kids Saturday morning show. Um, but um, oh yeah, I don't want to use any of the cliches to describe uh, comedy programs. So yeah, just watch it. Um, <laughs> next up, before we get to Digi Two Thousand, uh, I just wanted to mention uh, your book is still available: Confessions of a Chatroom Freak. Um, I've added it to yeah, my wish list. I wasn't really aware of this, so uh, I need to I need to oh, get gosh. this down me. Um, yeah, it's uh, God. That was uh, quite a few years ago now. Got two thousand seven. It says, yeah, yeah. There you go. Eight years ago. Um, yeah, the publisher went bust very shortly after it came out, so I, oh, I never received any royalties for it. Oh. Uh, and it's I think you, you can get it for about one p now on Amazon. Yes, I'm not even joking. Literally one p. It is. Um, You're so, not wrong. Yeah. How much of that? Uh, so you don't see any of that one penny. I haven't seen. Apart, I had an advance. I had a, a very modest advance on it, um, but I've okay. never seen any royalties, and I've no idea how well it sold. But um, but yeah, that uh, that it? was that was. Uh, I I think it came out all right. Yeah, it's again that's quite a pure 
um, distillation of me in that everything is kind of quite stream of consciousness and me thinking on my feet. Um, you know, I, I mean, that's how Digitizer was always written. It was, you know, and likewise, yeah. the, 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 new, the new website, you know, there's a huge um, amount of content because I, my brain, for whatever um, reason, and for better or worse, does sort of tend to run at about a thousand miles an hour. So, um, you know, I was able to kind of come up with odd stuff spur of the moment when talking to men online while pretending to be a woman that was the basic thrust of the book it's a, it's a good premise um yeah definitely going to spend a penny on that um not oh dear not not metaphorically uh, uh yeah I customers <laughs> customers who viewed this item also viewed doug stanhope uh fun with pedophiles oh, the best of baiting so that's that's pretty some pretty good yeah. company yeah um so yeah um there were a couple of um sort of earlier proto internet uh, digi type things there was bubblegum.com which i do remember yep. um, uh, spending some time on um but ultimately it didn't come to full fruition in the way that digi 2000 has is that fair to say um well god i don't know i mean i think we it was actually more popular and certainly in terms of hits than digi okay. 2000 is um you know it was in sort of the earlier days of the internet really yeah and, yeah sure it was kind of a BuzzFeed before BuzzFeed, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just ran out of time to do it. It was we had some interested investment, and it looked like we might get get some backing. And then uh, what happened was the internet crash happened, and um, it, it was pretty clear that we weren't going to be able to do it as a uh, a full time proposition. So I kind of backed away. But the website's still there. My friend Steve. Um, he still pays pays for it to be hosted, and the content is all there because he says it would be a shame to shame to lose it all. So bubblegum.com yep. is, um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's some of it. I kind of look at it and go, oh, it's you know, it's the work of a much younger man. Um, <laughs> but you know, it had its fans. Sure, and uh, one that isn't still there is DigiWorld, which I believe was written by other folks, uh, gaming gaming uh, journalist types. But um, was it with your blessing or something that it was in the Digi well, style? Or something? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was shortly after I left Digi, and I think I, I, I mentioned to Stuart Campbell that, that yes. um, I missed writing it. But um, and I don't know. There was some. I don't know, miscommunication that he thought I was going to write for it. And I may have miscommunicated that, that um, I was going to write for it regularly, but I just didn't have the time. That kind of TV writing stuff was um, taking off and um, Stuart got pissed off, possibly quite rightly, I don't know, um, that that um, I wasn't able to contribute to it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it had, I mean, God, was it Kieran Gillen, who's now kind of a massive yep. Marvel Comics writer writing for it. Um, but, Really, ultimately, it was just the wrong time for me. It was too soon after Digitizer for me to kind of be involved. Um, and, you know, I don't know, it was pre-crowdfunding and uh, the, the site was going to be hidden behind a paywall and I wasn't quite comfortable with that. And so, so yeah, so I wasn't involved and um, Stuart and I had a mild fallout for a little while, but it was everything was fine in the long run. So, you know, we chat from time to time now. So, um yeah, yeah, and I never really read it, so I, I can't really comment on it. I think I may have written one piece for it in the end. I can't right. remember. It was a long time ago. So that's I don't, fine, that's fine. <laughs> But you are definitely properly back with uh, digitizer2000.com and uh, 
and it's yeah it's making us folk very happy it's also uh, you know just want to say it's particularly cool how um responsive and stuff you are on twitter because um it would easy it would be easy to not be and you know you the fact that you respond to tweets and and are up for you know some uh some laughs and stuff like that and and to come on people's obscure podcasts is 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 excellent but i think um you know it's uh, it's also cool for us to have the opportunity to spread the word a bit because um with the you know you're talking about the the uh kind of unsuccessful pay model of digiworld but these things are kind of easier to uh people kind of know what they're getting into now and you know you do have a patreon and uh and paypal links and things like that and you've got some merchandise now which has been going great um i still need to order some um you've got uh, more t-shirts just, coming in we have yeah yeah we've um we may be reordering the the, the logo shirts uh as they've been very popular and it's almost out of our first batch of, batch of merch really so um oh. we've got some mr t mr t t-shirts coming in this week so um they'll oh, be up for sale so and we're looking at mugs and maybe woolly hats for the winter so um there may be some yeah. other stuff on there excellent digi mug must be must be uh, happening and um yeah so any kind of what plans have you got for digitizer uh, just just keep it going or have you got any kind of you know plans to maybe take it sideways make it bigger you know well sort of funny thing. enough actually we because uh, it, it it's kind of although i do the vast majority of the content we occasionally have the odd guest writer um yep. you know doing a piece for us but um it, it's kind of all the behind the scenes stuff is is done by my partner she you know, kind of, she's done all sorted out all the merchandise and everything else. And so we actually we had, for want of a better word, a strategy meeting today where we kind of said, well, <laughs> where where are we going with this? What is yeah. you know? Because I'm producing a huge amount of content, and I kind of, you know, although you know the Patreon's going great, and we made a little bit of money out of the t-shirts. It's it's kind of uh, you know I love doing it, um, but the nature of my kind of day job is it tends to sort of go in cycles and that cycle is coming back around to the time where it's going to be wanting my attention and time. So, um, and you know, I, I having a start to think now, well, I, you know, I don't want to give up doing digi. Um, I'm loving it too much, but, um, but how do we keep that going? <laughs> you know, without, without it getting too diminished. So, uh, um, so yeah, we batted a few things around. If anyone else has got any bright ideas, I'm all ears um, and ready to hear hear any any suggestions anyone's got. I mean, I think we're gonna you know see if we can broaden out the merchandise a bit. Um, you know, it's it, it's difficult because I think Digitizer as a brand has become so synonymous with me. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'd love to bring in some other writers, but uh, certainly with the Patreon, people are very kindly donating money every month, I think, to read what I have to write. So sure. yeah. um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's tricky to know. I'd love to expand it. I'd love to be able to do it full time and make it an all singing, all dancing site. Um, you know, and it is, it's at the moment, it's, I'm kind of doing it as a full time job, but I know I'm not going to be able to carry on doing that mm. indefinitely um, because, you know, I've, I've, I've got to pay the mortgage. So, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I don't know. The more people that read it, the more people that can spread the word and support us on Patreon and buy our merchandise, you know, the more chance there is of it becoming more of a permanent um, fixture. You know, we've only been around a year, and you know, so in that year, you know, we're, we're, we make a modest 
profit and you know our readership has quadrupled so you know it's it's going in the right direction put it that way fantastic um yeah so uh, uh, an appeal really to to listeners of this obviously um if you're listening you may just be somebody who subscribes to our podcast and you may not have any clue who uh, mr biffo or paul is or what digitizer was but even then i would uh, urge that you check out digitizer 2000 because um it is genuinely i think a, a breath of fresh air in what is um quite a you know quite an intense and and i think predictable and quite downbeat gaming press at the moment i think digitizer brings a lot of the kind of joy back to it um and for those of us who were there in the uh, in the um the early days of, of digitizer uh, it's just it's just magic to have uh, paul's particular brand of nonsense back on on, on the internet um and yeah uh, any listeners who do go over there bear in mind uh, what 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 paul's saying that um supporting it will mean it can it might carry on for longer so um yeah that's all good stuff um so yeah it just remains for me leon to thank paul ever so much for joining us uh incredible i was, you're this, very I was welcome. actually welcome i was actually really nervous about this one even though i knew you know, i knew i know you're a nice guy but it's that thing of uh it's that thing of interviewing people you've uh, oh, admired for, far, you. for a long time um and i've, oh, I've done a lot very of sweet. thank you for yeah no thank you for all the lovely things you said i mean it is you know, I don't get quite as much feedback as you might expect. So, you know, sure. it's it's always lovely to hear it. And, you know, it's um, always a pleasure to, you know, come and chat Digi and, you know, speak to people about their, you know, experience of it. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. Lovely. Thank you, Leon. This is a tale about two Where they witnessed their own deaths They saw a lot of cool stuff A cyborg in an antique rough An android in a right old huff A pirate with a bowl of fluff And a robot with a metal chuff, 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 Future kids, where you going to future kids? Catching a future disease, the future is there.